Hi, this is Tom from the Happiness Quotient. Thank you for dropping by. You are one of my favorite listeners because if you're listening to this episode, you're hearing it before we changed our name to the Happiness Quotient. Just so you won't be surprised when you listen, you'll hear me talk about Baker Street with Tom Pollard. Believe me, you are in the right place. We've changed our name, but the excellence of the podcast just keeps getting better. Before we get to the episode, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe wherever you're listening, and I hope you'll visit my Patreon page for exclusive content at patreon.com slash thehappinessquotient, and take a look at my YouTube page of the same name, where there are many Everest and music-related episodes, adventure-related podcast elements that can't be found here on the podcast itself. Thanks for being here. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave me a review, a rating, and share it with someone you care about. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Baker Street. Thank you for stopping by. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Pull up a chair. Kick your feet up. We're going to tell some stories about Mount Everest. My experiences on Mount Everest. Just a little bit about the commercialization of Mount Everest. Have people gone too far? Have we ruined the spirit of adventure? and exploration by allowing too many people on the mountain. Do you think it's polluted? Do you think there are too many dead bodies up there? Should people close the mountain? Should Nepal and China close it and not let anybody go and let the mountain rest? That's what Sir Edmund Hillary said some years ago, give the mountain a break. I'm gonna share a few of my thoughts about that today. And this is episode 20. What a milepost. We're one score in on Baker Street with Tom Pollard. Thank you for being here. The music that we're listening to today, I found on the free music archive and it's by Vinod Prasanna, Oki Zok, and Pompeii. And believe it or not, they're out of Melbourne, Australia. Their website is bsr.fm, Black Sea Records. That's where you can find them, if you will. But I found this music on the Free Music Archive a song called Rag, and it's electronic North Indian traditional type song that is pretty darn close to where Mount Everest is. Thank you to that fantastic group of artists for setting the vibe for Mount Everest. 
As you know, I've been to the mountain four times. First time in 1999, I was the high altitude cameraman for an expedition to look for the bodies of George Mallory and Sandy Irvin. It was called the Mallory and Irvin Research Expedition. And I was hired by NOVA, the PBS science series, to be the high altitude cameraman on a co-production with NOVA, with the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. And during that expedition, we found the body of George Mallory at 27,000 plus feet, 75 years after his disappearance, his body had remained up high in the death zone, frozen on the mountain for 75 years. Crazy thing is, I gave up my summit bid or my opportunity to be on the summit team to go and film more around the body of George Mallory to look for the camera we believed he was carrying and thought to myself, I'll be back in a year or so to complete this expedition. And wouldn't you know it, it took me 15 years to get back. I was there the second time in 2014. And I was there filming another documentary uh, with a gentleman who had endeavored to become the oldest American to climb Mount Everest. In April, at the beginning, toward the beginning of the expedition, a huge Serac avalanche crashed down into the Kumbu icefall and took the lives of 16 men in an instant. Nepal and then China afterwards closed the mountain, so my dream was dashed. Finally got back there two years later, 2016, at which time I was filming a different documentary. I summited on May 22nd, 2016, under a brilliant full moon, alone with my climbing partner on the summit for 30 minutes that we reached at 2.40 in the morning. It was gorgeous, brilliant full moon. Had the mountain to ourselves, so the overcrowding was certainly not a big deal on summit day. And then I just went back a few months ago with my buddy Mark Sinnott. He and I were there on a National Geographic expedition with our friend Renan Ozturk to produce a film, much of which I'm really not at liberty to talk about, believe it or not, because of our contract with National Geographic, but a film, podcast, and a magazine article will result in our efforts, and also Mark is writing a book about it. Pretty cool stuff, indeed. What I want to share with you today are a few excerpts from a panel discussion that I took part in for the Boston Museum of Science. It was the 2018 Washburn Challenge recruitment event, and it was led by a moderator, Professor Peter Hansen. Peter Hansen is a professor of history at Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts, not too far from where I grew up. Peter wrote a book on the history of mountaineering. It's called The Summits of Modern Man, Mountaineering After the Enlightenment, a really cool book 
one of which he gifted to me, and I keep it on my dresser in my room. And uh, it's very, very enlightening to read that. Ha ha ha, get it? Mountaineering after the Enlightenment. Peter is an expert primarily on, well, one of the, one of the many things, but, but what we came together for this panel discussion was to discuss the commercialization of Mount Everest. And in it was not only myself on the panel, but Lakpa Sherpa, the woman from Nepal who has the most summits for a woman anywhere, but she's Sherpa, nine summits to this day of Mount Everest. And Dr. Heather McDonald, a, a mountaineering guide who's now a psychologist, but a very talented mountaineer whom I met in 1999 when she took part in a, a guiding a group to Mount Everest, uh, during which time I was climbing and filming there. So I'm going to share with you some interesting thoughts about my experience on Mount Everest and the commercialization. I'm going to get it started by Peter Hansen opening the discussion for us. So this Tales for the Top is a dialogue about Mount Everest in recent years. Uh, after a fatal storm on Mount Everest in 1996, which was recounted in many books and films and commentary, led to kind of a controversy about commercialization. The commercialization, it was said, caused the tragedy in 1996 and led to the downfall of mountaineering after a golden age that had preceded it. Crowds of fee-paying tourists had replaced the real mountaineers who used to go up climbing on unclimbed routes, and uh, the peak had, was now uh, had been degraded. Now, from my perspective as a historian, this is a process of commercialization that's gone on for a much longer period of time and has taken a wide variety of forms. And although we won't be talking about it that much in today, if you look back over this longer perspective, from the naming and mapping of the peak through to the early expeditions, these were part of its commercialization. Peter got the conversation started by asking us to introduce ourselves and our experience with Mount Everest. And in the course of our discussion that evening, which took place at the Boston Museum of Science in their auditorium there, I shared that while I was certainly part of the engine that drove commercialization as a filmmaker, that I was indelibly hooked by the power and attraction of Mount Everest, which in my mind is one of the great mountains, is the greatest mountain in the world. Well, there's no doubt that with uh, the growth and popularity, specifically Mount Everest, that uh, the crowds has changed the game a lot. And, uh, and, it, and while that growth has benefited many greatly, um, you know, a lot of the families in, in, in Nepal, the Sherpa and the, the Kumbu region, have benefited from excellent pay. Um, there's, there's, there's also a huge downside. There's, uh, you know, I think... I'll say Westerner, but I'd say as, as the, you know, kind of a white Western guy who goes there working as a film person, a cameraman, um, we put a lot of 
kind of trust and, and faith in that because we can plunk down some money for strong men and women to carry our loads, um, that sometimes we forget the, the downside of that. And in 2014, in, a mile away from my base camp tent, an avalanche fell, uh, a Serac fell off the west shoulder of Everest and took the lives of 16 men, most of them Sherpa. It showed just how far that we've gone to kind of choke that mountain. Now, I, now I'm, I'm a guy who believes strongly in saying that commercialization isn't necessarily bad, but, I, but there, there's some regulations that need to be put into place. There's a lot of people who go to climb Mount Everest with very little experience. The commercialization of Everest just absolutely slapped me in the face in 2016 on my own summit day um, when I went up and, and summited very early in the morning and on my way down I encountered three um, men in various stages of death, if you will, and um, there they ultimately died. Uh, there was a New York Times cover, a big special section about them recently. I was quoted in it. Th those people who passed away, in essence, were kind of victims of commercialization. Uh, they're very inexperienced. Doesn't mean they don't have the rights to be there. Uh, just because I climb doesn't mean I have more of a right than them. But um, they're from the Asian continent, had different kind of incomes, and in order to make their pennies stretch, they hired an outfit that supplied them with inexperienced climbing guides who didn't understand what going past the turnaround time meant. So, uh, so if somebody at 27,000 feet is going up and you know that they've got five more hours to go and they've only got this much oxygen left and they're tired and it looks like they're about to die, you turn around. And if they say, no, I'm not turning around, you yank your rope and you pull them down. I mean, it, it, and, and the inexperience of these guides, and it's not even to say that those men who guided them were bad, but because of that inexperience and the commercialization of Everest, those three men died that day. That shouldn't have happened. And, and then down in base camp, there's this huge film production putting a TV series on, trying to, like, ambulance chase. Every time somebody had like frost nip on their finger, there was a helicopter evacuation and this guy pretending he was a big doctor and, you know, it, it, it was nauseating. However, na nauseating as it was, I go inside, I close my tent, I start writing in my journal, I think, I'm no different. I made, I've been making my living off of going to the mountains and filming documentaries. I've capitalized just as much as anybody else off that mountain. I've never paid. I've always made money doing it. So, um, so I see the downside of the commercialization. Hopefully, I think that ultimately people go in there consciously and understand that we can do positive things to the people, bring education to the Kumbu region, help the people, help give... Uh, options. You don't just have to be a climbing guide in order to make a good living. 
you don't have to go risk your life and ferry loads up to Camp 2 on and off every day and, you know, 10 times every season and risk your life just to make a good living. There's other ways to do it. Since you mentioned the filmmaking, um, have, has making a, does making a film change the experience or posting on social media, some of the opportunities that people have now to stay connected to the rest of the world, uh, has that changed the experience of climbing? Most. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It, it has changed it a lot, but kind of an interesting story that puts things into perspective. So in 99, I filmed the Mallory Expedition, where I met Heather, who was guiding a trip in there. And so Mallory was discovered, his body was discovered at about 27,000 feet, and it, it took place on May 1st of, of 99. And uh, the next morning, we were all down in advanced base camp, which is about 21,000 feet, and we're having breakfast. And uh, a friend of mine um, walked by our tent, and uh, we're, it was big secret. Don't, every, don't anybody tell anybody <laughs> a word about the discovery. We're going to sneak out of Tibet and bring the news back home to the world. And this friend of mine walks by and he goes, hey guys, congratulations. And we're all pretend, playing dumb, like, what are you talking about? Well, I just heard a BBC radio report interviewing Sir Edmund Hillary congratulating you on the discovery of George Mallory. We're like, oh my God. So 24 hours later, it's world news. Now, put that into perspective. George Mallory disappears with Sandy Irvin on June 8th, 1924. It took months for the news of his death, their death, to reach home. So granted, 75 years is a long time, but how things have changed, you know? I mean, and, and it's all part of that, like we're caught up in something that we have no control over. So does filmmaking change my experience? 100%, it's, it's the way I bring myself to it. It's my, it's my in. The discussion turned really wonderfully to discuss our deepest attraction to the mountain. In today's day and age, you can find out just about everything on the internet, you know, and uh, look it up, read books. Uh, for me personally, the, the one thing that I've come to understand about that mountain is that it's an immense center of energy. Um, it unmistakably exudes these, these vibrations that, for better or for worse, draws people toward it. Um, it is, it's a massive mountain, and when you see it for the first time, you become transformed. And for some people, that desire to stand on it and be in that environment is overwhelming and it never goes away. And because of that energy, uh, what draws us toward it, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger thing happening here. We enter, I don't wanna go too tangential here, but uh, we all enter this realm for various reasons to kind of understand the, the core of of our soul and what it is that we're on this planet for. And for me, when I go to Everest, I look at all the people, the experienced ones, the inexperienced ones, the guides, the Sherpa, um, but some are drawn there to die. 
Some are drawn there to live. Some are drawn there to tell stories. Some are drawn there to help Sherpa. Some are there to save lives. And that energy center is so powerful and it's so overwhelming that regardless of the commercialization, for all the good things and all the bad things that it does, it will never end. That is such a gigantic part of this planet. It is just gonna, like, like a magnet. It's just gonna suck you toward it and it will never let you go. And lastly, the panel discussion was open to the audience and it went on. It probably could have gone all night. There were many, many hands raised. But a woman asked me what I thought the biggest downside was to the commercialization of Everest. Okay, yeah. I was just curious, what is in your mind the biggest downside to the commercialization? I, I used to think it was the trash you know, compiling on the mountain, but if that's not really the one, and is it mostly safety or are there other ecological or environmental, if you had to pick one thing? Um, it's brought a lot of economic prosperity to the region, Everest in particular. Um, by far, the downside is, is that there are more people, low-wage cooks, porters, putting, being put into extremely dangerous situations who are losing their lives. And then when they die, they, there's no insurance. Their families are left without any means to have an income. So to me, that's it's it's really on a personal level, garbage or or over you know too much construction. That's we can fix that, you know what I mean. But but it's the loss of life and then families losing those people who brought income in. Professor Peter Hansen is a professor of history and director of international and global studies at Worcester Polytechnic Institute. And his book, which would be really worthwhile for any of those interested in this topic, it's called The Summits of Modern Man, Mountaineering After the Enlightenment. And one can find that book for sale at the Harvard University Press, which is hup.harvard.edu. And I believe if you did a search in there, you'd be able to find it. The music we're listening to this wonderful northern Indian traditional music was found on the Free Music Archive, and it's by Vinod Prasanna and Okizok and Pompeii. Three tracks on their album. Remember that we create our reality with the thoughts that we empower, and if we keep them positive and coming from a loving place, and all are true to our innermost passions and thoughts, then we can achieve much. We will in turn attract positive, kind people to us and clear through some of the channels that are muddied by anger or negativity. So stay positive, keep positive, surround yourself with positive, empowering people 
remember that non-judgment is the beginning of, of positivity and that starts with ourselves, not judging ourselves. So when you look in the mirror, therein is an all-knowing, all-powerful aspect of source that can accomplish truly anything. If you want to find out about me or have me come and do a presentation about my Mount Everest experiences to your school, college, university, business, or your sales event or an annual event, find me on eyesopenproductions.com and click in the upper right-hand corner on the contact button and fill that out and let me know how I can reach you and I'll add you to my mailing list. Thank you for stopping by. It's an honor to have you listen. I will see you all real soon. If you're still here, thank you for visiting. I hope you'll take a moment to subscribe wherever you're listening, and I hope you'll also visit my Patreon page for exclusive content at patreon.com slash thehappinessquotient, and take a look at my YouTube page of the same name, where there are many Everest and music-related episodes as well as adventure content and interview snippets that can't be found here on the podcast. Thank you for being here. I hope you'll share this, leave me a review, a rating, and come back soon.